I'm going to invite Pastor Daniel to come on up. Uh, we're going to be sharing with you tonight. If you were here this last weekend, uh, Pastor Dwayne brought a message. And what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of maybe pop into a couple different portions of that message and talk about some of the things he brought up and maybe dive from a different angle or a little deeper and whatnot. But this is Pastor Daniel, and I'm Pastor Tim. We're both on staff here for now a long time. I'm 16 so, like years, so you're probably like... A lot of years. You were born here. This is Pastor Dwayne's son, so he's been here his entire life. So there you go. <laughs> uh, well, I'm excited <clears throat> to get to share. Tim and I have worked together since he came as an intern. 16 years. <laughs> 16 years ago. Uh, and I'm trying to think if we've actually, we have preached back and forth. I don't know if we've actually preached together. Yeah, this might this might be new. It was like, just, uh, it was it was probably about... 50 minutes ago that <laughs> so this yeah anyway Cindy's like hey <laughs> no but but it's it's fun and and I kind of got to cheat because I, I took good notes on Sunday as I was listening to pastor and then we used a bunch of them for the seven at sevens on Tuesday and Wednesday we kind of looked back at some of what pastor had brought up and kind of dove into it so as soon as he said it I'm like ooh I have a bunch of thoughts I have a bunch of notes and one of the things that really just jumped out at me. He made a comment about tolerance. Um, tolerance and feelings. And I struggled to talk and sit at the same time. Um, go for it. But, we can both stand up. There you go. <laughs> but the, uh, as he was, he was talking about this, in our culture, uh, tolerance is a virtue. And they want to celebrate tolerance, and they are incredibly intolerant of anybody who they think is not tolerant. Which doesn't even make sense. So it's tolerance from their perspective and not... Yes. But, but they go through this and there's this, this big push of, um, of that this is what is the most important. That however I feel, whatever I want, that you approve it. And that my feelings should guide me and you should think that that's wonderful. Except Jesus had a different perspective. In Revelation chapter 2... Jesus is talking, and he's addressing one of the churches. In verse 20, he goes, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. So, Pastor Daniel, what you're just saying is the culture says tolerance is something you should do, where from a biblical perspective, at least when you're looking at biblical topics, God says tolerance uh, is something that he, he doesn't like. So you're going to have to flesh that out a little bit so we can understand that. The tolerating, approving of something doesn't make it okay. And they were approving of things that God disapproved of. And he goes, I'm holding this against you. It is not a badge of honor that you overlook this, that you call their sin okay. He goes, no, that's, that's my problem is that you're approving of this. In fact, in Romans 14... It says, the faith that you have kept between you, yourself, and God, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So, so basically, God, God wants us to be very careful about what we say, this is okay and this is not. And one of the things that we kind of run into a lot in our culture is when someone says you have to tolerate or you should be, be tolerant of something, really what they're doing is they're saying, hey, you need to make sure 
that you're, it's kind of almost like this. You shouldn't look down and say someone's less of a person because of choices that they make. And I think in some ways God would say, yeah, you need to do that. But what God would say is you need to love. So I think the difference is what's the difference between love and just being nice to somebody? Because the, the world kind of says be nice to them, where loving is sometimes difficult. The idea that I have to approve of your behavior if I love you is erroneous. I have children. I love my children. I love my children so much that there's a lot of their behavior that I disapprove of. And it's not because I don't love them. The fact that I won't let them play in the street is not because I don't love them. Though they may think it's the coolest, smoothest place to play. Uh, but because I love them, I won't let them. I won't let them grab hot pans because I love them. There's so many different behaviors that I disapprove of because I love them and I want the best for them. But our, our society says, well, you have to approve it because if I feel it, my feelings make it true. You might think it's not okay. Well, then it's not for you. But if I feel, and they, they just, it's this big thing of that my feelings are determine what's right and wrong. You, you, you mentioned kids. How many of you guys uh, in here remember when you were like six years old? I can remember being about six years old, and I can remember, and I've even walked through this. I've got kids, young kids as well, and I walked through this with my son a while ago where I'm getting ready to put him in bed, and my three sons sleep in the same room together. It's the man room. But they sleep in this room together. And I remember putting my oldest son down and he said, dad, will you go close the closet? And I said, yeah, buddy, why? He said, well, I think there's a monster in there. Right? Now I can, I can genuinely say there are no monsters in that closet. I can acknowledge his feeling, but it doesn't mean just because he feels it, it's true. And the same thing is true for all of us. So really what it comes down to is it's kind of this balance of what, where, does, where does truth lie? Like where is truth found? And where, that, that needs to be where we build our life upon. I think of in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus portrays these two individuals. And he says that one of them is wise and one of them smart. And he says, uh, I'll tell you the end of the story first. The foolish person's house gets destroyed in a storm. The wise person's house stands the storm. They both can use the same building material, but he says the one thing that's different is the foolish person builds his house on the rock. The Sorry, the wise person builds his house on the rock. The foolish person builds his house on the sand. So the wise person on the rock, the foolish person, the sand. Jesus attributes and says the wise person is the person that hears what Jesus is saying and applies them. Then you have to say, well, the foolish person is the person that hears what Jesus is saying but doesn't do anything about it. And I kind of like to think of it like this. Uh, my kids went to the beach today. Anyone enjoy the beach one thing that's nice about the beach is I love putting that towel out and laying down on the beach. You know, and it's, it's, it's warm and it's comfortable. Uh, I don't really particularly enjoy laying a towel on a basketball court and a basketball court at the park and laying on it because it's concrete. 
But what does concrete do? Sand forms to me, right? When I lay on the beach sand, it forms to me, it's comfortable. But when I lay on concrete, does the concrete change? No. What changes? I change when I lay on the concrete. That's why when I lay there for about 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, and it's hard to get up because now my body is being impacted by the concrete. And that's really what it comes down to. It's like, where are you building your life upon? And we, as people who are saying, I, I genuinely want to follow Christ. I call myself a Christian. Uh, I love the term that you've used a lot, like Jesus is Lord. If I say Jesus is Lord, that means that I look to him for truth and not to anything else, and not even to my feelings, though I may feel it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Yeah, I love, love this. That uh, I'm going to come back to your sand and, and basketball court here in a minute. But blessed is the person who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Romans yeah. 14, 22. My approving it doesn't make it okay. Culture approving it doesn't make it okay. But our culture pushes this idea to just follow your heart. If you feel it, it's okay. If you want it, then have it. And there's all of this this mantra of like, hey, your feelings justify your actions. And then if, if... if you're in the world, they'll just kind of just throw it out there. If you've been in the church very long, then they'll churchify it and they'll say something like, well, doesn't God want me happy? Surely God wouldn't want me to have to do this because I don't want to. And there, there's all of this terminology that they use, but it's this thought that my feelings are supreme. That my feelings get to determine what's right and what's wrong. But the Bible says in Proverbs 14.25 that there's a way that seems right to a man. Sorry, 14.12 and 16.25 both say there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. So just because it looks good doesn't make it right. In James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, sorry, uh, it says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, uh, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Just because I desire it doesn't make it okay. He states, your desire is what, lo- what messes you up. And I think that that's sometimes hard for American culture to swallow. Because they're like, but... But I want it. How could it be wrong if I want it? And they they throw this out there. But he goes through and says that as a Christian, my desire isn't what leads me. Because culture says, well, if I desire it, then I will mold my Christianity to it like the sand. And God goes, no, no, no. You're going to mold to me. When you get up, you're going to have my imprint on you, not the other way around. And it's this powerful thing when we begin to realize what it looks like to follow, that my desires aren't God. But our culture goes through and says that, hey, um, if this is what you feel, that means that's who you are. And 
if this is who you are, then it would be wrong to take it from you. And, and they, they, they push this idea that, hey, if God wants me happy, then I know that the Bible says that God hates divorce, and I know the Bible says that sex is for inside of marriage, and I know the Bible says, and they, they throw all this other, but God wants me happy. If we put happiness as what determines what direction we go, then we put happiness as God. Romans chapter 6 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin which leads to, right, to death or obedience which leads to righteousness. And it's this, this powerful thing when we realize that what I want isn't God. And as a Christian, I'm told that I get to die to myself. I get to put away so many of these things. And I think that's, that's a, huge, a huge thing, especially as Americans in our culture, that just kind of pushes, follow your feelings, whatever you desire. And the Bible goes, well, you can do that, but then recognize you've placed yourself and your feelings as your God. I think about... Um Romans one twenty five, which is really the springboard verse that Pastor's been using for a lot of this series he's doing. And it says, for they, it's talking to uh, people that, uh, uh, people around the area, it said, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the, cre- the creature rather than the creator. And it's this idea of, of we have to be really careful at who we determine we're going to serve. Uh, I think I think of uh, we we every year for as a church we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. We've got it coming up here in in January, so this is a good like plug. Like set your calendar, eat your food now. That way you're no I'm joking. Sorry, that's horrible. That's horrible. Uh, but but why do why do why does God say that it's a good thing to fast? Have you ever thought about that? Like why is it a good idea to deny your body? Maybe even some of the things that are healthy for your body in the first place. And a lot of it comes down to us. I, I, always, I always think of us as we're three-part beings. The Bible says that we're a spirit, which is who we actually are. We live in a body, which is our flesh, and we have a soul. So we are a spirit. We live in the, the body of flesh. So we're spirit, body, and soul. Soul is mind, will, and emotions. And really what fasting does is when we deny our flesh, that's even to the point of denying our feelings, if you think about it, because the way we feel the world is through our body. So when we deny our flesh, what it does is it allows our spirit, which is the true us, to be the one that steps into control in those areas. So we make a decision in our mind to say, I'm going to deny the flesh, and I'm going to recognize that the spirit is who I actually am. And when we fast, it's literally this process of saying, no, I choose to say that God is the one that's true. I choose to say that the Bible is the one that's true and not recognize the feelings of my flesh. Uh, Pastor Duane will often say, when you start fasting, your body is going to tell you, I'm going to die. I, I am right there with all of you. This body hates fasting. 
But that is a good reason to do it because I need to learn to deny the feelings that I have and recognize that there's something greater than that. And this kind of is probably a good point to say, when you fast, if all you're doing is denying your body food, you're not accomplishing everything that fasting could be. Because when we fast, we deny our body food, but what do we got to do? We've got to attach to a different source. What's the different source? The different source is I'm going to choose to spend time into the Word of God so that I can build my life on that solid rock of Him rather than the sand of this earth or the sand of my feelings. I'm going to spend time in the Bible meditating on it, and I'm also going to spend time praying in communication and relationship with the Father in heaven. You know, and it's this beautiful thing of when we fast, it's, a, it's literally a denying of our feelings so that we can connect to something that's more real than that. Yeah. I love it. It's this, um, your feelings aren't supreme. They aren't God. Uh, don't let them rule or dominate your life. Yeah. And I think that, that goes really well into the fasting, and it goes really well into repentance. Yeah. Because in, in repentance, we're saying um, that what I did isn't right and going I'm going to submit and not just let my my emotions drive my life yeah. um, and I love pastor said it's it's not something you do once it needs to be an sort of repentance it's not something you do once it needs to be an attitude in our hearts that is every day when we are somehow displeasing to God we run to God and away from sin um I heard this, if you were in the message this weekend, so Pastor started talking about this idea of what truth is and where truth lies, and then he used this illustration of repentance to back that up, of just because our feelings say something doesn't mean that that's necessarily true. And uh, when, when I heard this idea of repentance, he, he was mentioning that you could literally be in a moment and you could be crying over your sin but not actually repenting. So I immediately had to stop and say, okay, if there's, if there's I'm almost going to say like false repentance, then what's a good example? So Pastor Daniel, I'm going to ask you, what's a good example of true repentance from the Bible? So, yeah, I think that it, it's a great thing to note. False repentance, um, that tears do not equal repentance. Lack of tears do not equal no repentance. Whether or not someone gets emotional is not connected to whether or not they actually repented. And I loved, he, he kind of laid out, sometimes we can be very sorry for the consequences of our sin, yeah. even though we're not sorry for our sin. Yeah. And, and he, he went through... Through, through a few of them, through guilt, remorse, regret, and repentance, and kind of the difference. Um, I think that David and Saul are really great examples of how differently they handled yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about David? Yeah, I got David. So um, when I look at David, when we think of David, we think of, I don't know about you guys, but the first thing I think of, and I believe it's in Acts where it says he's a man after God's own heart. I think it's when, when we really get that term is David, a man after God's own heart. And I'm like, yeah, David, a man after God's own heart. And then you start reading the story of David. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. Why are we calling him a man after God's own heart? 
the best example of this is in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, and you've got David, and it's like literally my, my Bible says David's great sin. So, so you read, you're reading about this man, and all of a sudden he goes through, and, and, and just to, to highlight the story real quick, there's one day it says the time when kings go off to war, he sends his army and he stays back. So the first thing is that's weird is he didn't go with his army. But anyways, he stays back and he sends all of his closest friends away. He gets up on the roof and it says that he sees a beautiful woman bathing. He calls his people and he says, go find out who that is. They find out who it is and it's Uriah's wife. Uriah's one of his top soldiers in his army. So he's like, grab her and bring her. And you can imagine just what happens. He ends up committing adultery with her. He has, uh, she ends up getting pregnant and he's starting to freak out at this moment thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? He goes and has Uriah killed in the army to try to cover up his mistake. So, so imagine this happening. This would be like the headline of the century. Nation leader commits adultery, has husband killed, right? Like you got you to kind of look at the context of what's going on here. This is an incredible, incredible, crazy moment that has happened. And, and, and he has a moment where he has to face up to the fact that he makes a mistake. So Nathan, who's the prophet, comes and gives a beautiful story. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but a beautiful story about this guy who's rich that steals from a young man, uh, sorry, steals from a poor man, and, and David gets angry at the rich guy. And then Nathan looks at him and says, David, that's what you did. And this is what, look at this, this huge sin, this is, this is, this is how it concludes. And it says, uh, uh, 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. It says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's what David said. And in that moment, David was genuinely repenting for what he did. And it said, Nathan said to David, The Lord has taken away your sin. And it was this moment of like beautiful repentance and I don't know if you, it looks like you might have a little bit of more to add to that out of Psalm. Psalms 51 says, The choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is his response to, to Nathan. Uh, there you get like the Super notes. condensed. Uh, here you get this whole deal of, of going... Oh, God, purge me with the hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away. And you, you, see, you see his repentance as he lays out going, God, not just don't punish me. Because how many, okay, as a parent, I have had kids that were not sorry, who were just like, I don't want to get spanked. I don't want to spank it. I don't want to lose my toy. I don't want to get a timeout. I don't want to be, like, they just want to avoid any consequence. And they'd like to repeat it again if you just not notice. But, but he lays through going, God, change my heart. God, that's not who I want to be. God, mold me into your image. God, I blew it. And, and you see this, this beautiful chapter and you see God respond. But the king before David made a mistake. He made a couple of them. But in my personal opinion... Saul's mistakes were nowhere near yeah. as big as David's. Yeah. The first king of Israel, 
he goes through and and his mistakes seem to be rooted in fear. They seem to be rooted in, in trying to please the people or he blames the people for his mistakes. But the first time he, he didn't wait for uh, the, the prophet to come and, and do the sacrifice and he went and got into some things he wasn't supposed to. And the next time he gets told, hey, there's these, these people who are against us. You are to go wipe them off the earth. And he goes and brings back if I remember right, he doesn't just say you're supposed to wipe them off there, but like, may, no one can live and kill all the animals. It was like, like everything, every living thing just. Yeah, that, that was spot was supposed to get like nuked. Like it was crazy. Um, but he goes, goes through and he comes back. And when he meets Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel walks up to him. He's like, um, what do I hear? He's like, wow, God's gave us a great victory. He's like, then why do I hear sheep? Why do I hear oxen? What is, what is the sound that I'm hearing? And he's like, oh, dude, check out all the stuff we got from them. Here's all the animals, and, and there's the king. And, and he's like, do you not recall God told you to wipe them all out? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we did, except for them. It was the people. And he blames the people. It was the people's fault. But we're going we're gonna to offer them to God. And he's like, um, you're going to offer your disobedience to God? God desires obedience, not sacrifice. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah. And, and Samuel, call, the prophet, calls him out on his sin. And he goes through and he, he blames some things. And Saul gives him an unpleasant word. Um, and he goes through and he says, okay, I've sinned, for I transgressed the command of the Lord. Because I feared the people. So he blames the people. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I sinned, but can you just go with me? Can you just make me look good? Can you not let anyone know that I blew it? And he was sorry that he got in trouble. He was sorry that there was going to be consequences. But he wasn't sorry for his actions. And that's a really, really big difference between just going, uh, I don't want a consequence to, oh, I want, I, I just, I don't want to deal with it. And true repentance is a turning. See, Colossians, Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sin may be blotted out. And if, if you think about, man, I don't, I don't know about you, but I can relate. I can relate probably more to Saul more times than I want to admit than I can to David. And I could tell you that there's, there's moments in my life where I'm more, maybe more repentant because of the results of a mistake that I made rather than actually sad that I did the mistake. You know, and, and that comes down to like, learning and growing in the Lord to say, Lord, I'm not choosing to be obedient to your word just because I know that it'll bring me the least amount of consequences, but I'm choosing to be obedient to your word because I know that I want to please you because of who you are. And just choosing to say, I'm going to live my life out of that attitude 
rather than an attitude of I'm just trying to get like it's almost like it's almost like I'm just trying to get through life with the least amount of consequence negative consequences right if we're not careful like I can yep. I can I can relate with that probably more than I want to admit no and it's it's really easy to get into it but and I think it, it comes back to where we started this of going all right am I willing to submit my life to him and in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And you go, well, what, what fruit does repentance bring? Change. And it's going, all right, am I willing to submit to God? And when I repent, I'm saying, God, I choose your way. I choose to let my way go, regardless of what my way was. It's not just, hey, I'm sorry that while I was driving drunk, I crashed. It's not just, I'm sorry that I got a ticket. It's not just, I'm sorry I got caught. It's not just, I'm sorry you don't like it. It's, God, turn me and make me like you. God, remove from me this part of me that doesn't look like you, this part of me that's full of sin, this part of me that's selfish, this part of me, and God, whatever it is, mold me into your image. It doesn't matter how I feel about it because my feelings aren't my God. God, I submit to you. And when we, we take that approach, then we get molded instead of getting hardened. I get the opportunity to do a lot of marriage, helping couples walk through marriage, difficulty in marriage, I'll say that, helping couples walk through difficulty in marriage, or I get to do pre-marriage counseling, or my wife and I get to share in our marriage classes, different things like that. And one of the things that I could tell you more often than not is uh, there's one decision that you can make that will, that, will, that will guarantee, I can even say that, that will guarantee you to have a good marriage. If both of you make one decision, I guarantee you'll have a good marriage. And it's this decision to say, I choose. Each individually has to say, I choose to have Jesus as my Lord. If both people in a marriage do that, you will have an amazing marriage. Uh, in, in Romans 10 verse 9, this is a classic verse. You'll hear it around here all the time. But it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a, this is a verse that we often say in moments of altar call. But I want to draw attention to one word in there, and it's Jesus as Lord. And when you say that, I, I didn't grow up in the church. When I heard Lord in church, when I, I started coming here when I was 16, when I first heard that, I thought, that's awesome. That's another name for God, like synonymous with God. And then I remember the moment that I realized that it is not a name for God. It's a position for God in my life. A way we might think of it more as Jesus as King. So the question we got to ask ourselves when we come into all this is, who's king of our life? Who is in control of our life? In the moment in my life when I want to eat the ice cream and God says, don't eat the ice cream, who's on the throne? If this is the throne of my life, 
Who's sitting in that spot? And if we're not careful and if we listen to culture, culture will say, oh, you should sit in that spot. Or, or even your emotions should sit in that spot when it's like, no, who should be sitting in the throne of our life is Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says if we want to be saved, there's two things we have to do. The first one is we have to confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord. That's like saying, Jesus, you're my king. And then the second thing we have to do is believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. What does that mean? We have to believe that he paid for our mistakes so that we can be saved. And we have to confess that he's king of our life so that we can be saved. And that's an incredible thing. And I can tell you right now, that's not cool culturally. <laughs> no, but it's so powerful. And I love that your, your simple guarantee going, if both people in a couple will declare him to be Lord... And really, it's, we'll live him as Lord. You'll have a good marriage. Now, there are so many people who will go, yeah, but aren't there a ton of Christians getting divorced? There is a ton of people who believe or who say that they are Christians, who believe in God, but are refusing to let God drive. I can be in the car, and I, I love, I love this. So my car has navigation, and if your car doesn't have navigation, your phone has navigation, <laughs> and it updates more often than my cars. My cars hasn't updated in a decade, and so sometimes you're driving, and it's like this road doesn't exist. You're driving through a field. I'm like, no, it's been paved for eight years. But anyways, here's the thing: when my car speaks or my phone speaks through it, I can decide, all right, do I want to listen? Do I trust its navigation? Or do I think it's trying to drive me some stupid way past a whole bunch of stoplights so that it can get advertising money from some business that's over there? <laughs> Slight frustrations. All right, so. But I, I get to decide who's in control. And when I'm in my car and my phone's going... My phone is making suggestions, but I'm driving. <laughs> what God says is going, all right, you have to drive, but you have to trust me as the navigator. And so you have to choose to submit even when you don't like the directions that I give you. Yeah. And it might be that there's construction on the road that you don't know about. I've had that with my car and then got mad at it that I didn't listen to it. Because it was my, my phone was updating me a different route because of a massive detour. But I don't have to listen to my phone. But as soon as I call God Lord, I'm saying, God, you're master. You are boss. You get to tell me what to do. And in the areas where I've blown it, I go, God, I'm sorry. God, create in me a new heart. Create in me a clean heart. God, Make me like you. And that means you get to drive. But I, you can't get out of it. You go, God, that means you get to navigate. And I choose to drive to follow you. And in the spots that I misturned, I'm sorry. And if you're here and you say, you know what? Hey, I've, I've misturned. Maybe you turned off the GPS, you've not, you've not tried to follow God in any way, shape, form, or fashion. 
Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you've been here your whole life. And you say, I follow him when he goes where I want. But that's, that's not following. You say, today I want to repent. Today I want to make him Lord. Today I want to live for him. I want to give you an opportunity to do what it says right there in Romans 10.9. So can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? If you're here and you say, today I want to repent. Today I want him to be Lord, to be boss in my life. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One. If you're online, you can just type, that's me, or click there. Two. Three. Go, up, go ahead and raise your hand. Awesome. I see your hand, and your hand, and your hand, and your hand, and your hand. Who else? Is that me? All right. Most powerful thing you can ever do. So we're going to do just what it says here in Romans 10.9. And if you've done this before, you can go ahead and, and join us as we say this. But I'm going to ask everyone to just repeat after me. Say, God, God thank, you thank you for loving me, for loving me. Even, when I make mistakes. even when I make mistakes. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. I, believe I believe that you died, that you died and rose again. Rose again. I, choose I choose to follow you, to follow you from, this day forward. from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.